0: Well, he let me sit down. <laughs> I don't know I, my back's been hurting. I don't know whether I can still sit down the whole time or not. Even we'll, if it gets too rough, I guess I won't pull a Gerald Waterhouse and speak for four or five hours. I remember in times past, I uh, had some friends in Houston, the Indian, Fort Myers. That I used to, I looked like Gerald Waterhouse, but I don't have that kind of ability to speak, I guess. You know, it's interesting for me that it's been since, I guess, this past two years now that we've kept the Holy, the Spring Holy Days. It was 65, I think, was the last time we kept it when we were in Houston and they put an end to it. I enjoy it. I enjoy being able to be together on God's Holy Days. And I hope you do, too. You know, for me, the Passover, you know, before Passover, we'd we went out and searched our houses like Daryl was bringing out on the Sabbath or on the first holy day. We spent two weeks, you know, searching our homes for for physical leavening. But sometimes you wonder uh, how deep we search ourselves, our personal lives, to see how much uh, leaven we have in there. It's interesting. I, I always enjoy on Passover reading Psalms 22 and Daryl went through Psalms 22. There's so much meaning in there to what our Savior did for us in Isaiah 52 and 53. Those are tremendous scriptures and they have a lot. and mean a lot to me. And it should mean a lot to all of us because what our Savior really put up for us. And it's interesting that here is the God of the universe, the You know, there's God the Father and Christ, but back at the time was God and the Word, and the Word created everything. And to think that this created being was willing to devoid himself of existence, to come down to the size of a sperm cell, to be put into a a woman and became a human being for us as human beings, for all mankind. And then to only get 33 years of life, and sacrifice that life without any pride, and that's something hard to for me. You know, I I'm like all like a lot of human. Maybe not everybody, but I think there is a certain amount of pride that all of us have. I used to think when I my work, I wanted to be proud of the work I did. And then we come and finally come down to realize God hates pride. So you know. We we can't say I'm proud of my work. We just have to say I did the best job I can and I'm pleased with what I do. So the pride is something that we all have to fight. I, I know that. And something about the Passover is interesting to me is that Christ is the unleavened bread he gave up. And on the Passover day Sin left. That means when Christ died, He took the sins of the world away from him. He Took the leavening out. So now we have what? Five more days after the Passover, you have six days to try to take and get yourself aligned with Christ. Put the put the leaven or the sin out of your own life. Christ was that. Was our Passover. Uh, John. Chapter six. Go there. This is where I, I might have got this someplace else too. these John chapter six, verse forty-four. No man can come, Christ said. No person. No human being can come to me except the Father which sent me draw him. And that's interesting, that we can sit there and recognize that the only reason that we're here, so we can't say, I've got some pride or I've got some greatness in me. It's not that way. The only reason we are here is because the Father has brought us here, and I will raise him up in the last day. So Christ makes a promise to us, It says, we're here, each one of us, are only here because God reached down and opened your mind and selected you. We all went through the calling with Mr. Armstrong. He called many people through Mr. Armstrong. Now he's selecting people. And those that are striving to do God's will right now are chosen by Christ. So that's really interesting to me to to see that. Let's see, Christ, as I brought out earlier, I I jumped a little bit ahead there, but Christ uh, removed the sin on the day or our penalty. All of our past sins were removed the day that he was killed. And so when we went back through the Passover with those many things that we're able to witness that through the apostles, through the David's writings, through Isaiah and many other places in the Scriptures, we were able to witness that of what Christ did for us as He removed that sin from our lives. So now we need to work at taking sin out of our lives. And so you need to sit and think. You've got six more, five more days now, five more days to say what's in my life. You know, Daryl brought that out that we have certain things that we do wrong. Are we taking the time right now and looking in our own lives? I looked in the mirror just when I was shaving and said, Boy, there's you know, you look at your physical life. When you're young, you're you got a good complexion and as you get older you're, you get saggy and you know, your <laughs> ears drop down, your long hair your hair moves from one spot to the next and you know, as men that's the way it does. And, And you have to realize that your life is that way too. You have things that you do that you've got to change. And we were pointed out by Daryl that it's easy to look at somebody else and find their sins and their faults, but when you look in that mirror, men that are shaving and you ladies when you're fixing your hair, look at that person there and say, I'm going to point the finger at you. What do you have? So you have five more days coming up. We're, we're going into the second day of Unleavened Bread. So you're going to have five more days to say, what do I need to work out? I was listening to a sermon by Daryl, and he pointed out, and this was 90, 1997, he said, go to God and ask Him if you have the, the nerve or the guts. Show me all my faults. You know, and then he said, really, I don't want all those, to know all of them at one time. But it is interesting to get on your knees and say, Father, help me to see what mistakes I'm making. Show me my faults, what I do wrong. What can I change? So these six, these next five days, I think each one of us need to take time, not only in prayer, but a lot of meditation and saying, Father, show me, help me to see what, what I have in me so I can get the leaven out of my life, because it's easy to put leaven in your life. So we want to find all that leaven' put in our lives. Go to First Corinthians chapter 11. We read this all the time on the, in the Passover, First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31. For, we, uh, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Isn't that interesting that Christ is pointing out through the Apostle Paul that you need to look in the mirror and judge yourself? Because it's easy to look at somebody else. I mean, it's really easy to see somebody else's fault, whether it be your wife or your children or your neighbor or your brother or sister or... Anybody. You know, it's easy to see their mistakes. It's hard to look in a mirror and say, this is what you are doing wrong. So he says, if you will judge yourself, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. So when you judge yourself, and you can see faults that you are doing, and then you can pull that sin out and eat that unleavened bread, which, which represents Christ, then you're not going to have to suffer the penalties of the world. And that's why, you know, in Revelation 18.4, it says, come out of the world that you're not partakers of their sin or their punishment. So if you're judging yourself, you're not going to have to worry about being judged along with the world because you're making the changes in your own personal life today. One thing we need to do, and I think it's important, is to learn to be humble. We need to learn humility. So if you are learning humility, you're actually judging yourself. Mm-hmm. It's easy to say, well, I'm okay. I've done a lot of good things. But to judge ourselves and learn to have humility, and let's go to John, First John, chapter 5. Where we're, we'll read here, First John chapter five, verse six. For this is he. Uh, let's see, am I in the right spot? Five verse six. For this is he that came by water and blood. Well, that's not the scripture I wanted. Somehow I got a mistake. I don't think it is. Anyway, we're, we should learn to be humble. That's basically what I was trying to get. If you're looking in the mirror, if you're striving to see what you do wrong, then you learn to humble yourself. And you come and humble yourself before God and for Christ. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. If we're humbling ourselves and we're going to learn how to to pull sin out of our own personal life. And so I want to start in verse 10, Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So Paul was reminding us to say, okay, you need to be humble. So you can't say, hey, I am good. I do a lot of right things in my life. No, Paul was inspired to write that there is nobody that is good. There is none good, no, not one. There is none that understands. There is none that seeks after God. Basically, in the church, and we all went through a lot of those years, or at least most of us did, and we could see where well, we thought we were really good. We were really doing the right things. But, but we weren't. Because we really didn't understand. We didn't understand a lot of things that God was telling us to learn to understand. So we find out, Passover is the night to be much observed. There is no other night that is more important than what happened when Christ changed the symbols of the, the lamb and stuff to the bread and the wine. That is a night that is so important to see. It is the night most to observe. But the church doesn't understand that as a whole. They are all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable, and there is none that does good, no, not one. So twice he's repeated this, that you need to look at yourself. You can't build yourself up, hey, I'm something great. No, in reality, not a person is any good. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Isn't that what they're what was bringing out? We accuse each other. We find somebody making a, sa- a mistake. Is it become an open grave do we spew out things to destroy another person to kill them and with their tongues they use deceit the poison of asp is under their lips so much that we have to grasp that it's. this is something we need to be looking at because it is a sin that people have humanity has I have it and I've got to get rid of it so When I was going through this, I said, hey, this is some of the sins I need to pull out of my life, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, and their feet are swift to shed blood. Whose blood? No, we're not killing each other physically, but we do kill each other spiritually. Destruction and misery is in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. God wants us to learn peace, and until we can learn peace... How can we be in the world tomorrow and teach people to have peace? If we can't control our tongues right now, we can't control our minds now, how are we going to be able to do that in the future? I know back in the 60s and early 70s we used to teach, well, that's fine. When God finally brings us into the kingdom of God, He'll change our mind and we'll instantly be able to do that. Well, that's not really the way it's going to be. You have to be doing it now. We have to, right at this point in time, be willing to change our mind. We have to get every thought in captivity. And now, uh, now we know that whatsoever the law says, it says to them who are under the law. And, what, and every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty thereof, because we all break God's law. We all are guilty. Remember, it says if you break one of the commandments, and it doesn't make a difference if you curse God and, and love your neighbor, you broke all of them. Or if you steal or if you murder, isn't the penalty the same for all of that? It says you, we're all guilty. Some way or another, we're all guilty. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there, are, there shall no flesh be justified in His sight, For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So we've got to recognize that we're human. We have to humble ourselves. We've got to come to that point of saying, I have sin in me. And God is the only one, the Father and Christ are the only ones that are without sin. So we have to say, hey, I'm not the greatest person on this earth, I make a lot of mistakes. But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For he says, God says, Christ says through the Apostle Paul, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, do we need to search our life? Paul said yes. He said all people, every human being. So we can't look out here as so many do and say ours is the only group. We're the only ones around. No. I'm not the only one. I'm not the greatest person. I can't condemn anybody else. I heard a a sermon once by a man who said when you... He said I don't... His quote was I don't condemn other people because I can't judge them. Only God can judge. So anything that I say about another person is just a bunch of hot air. It doesn't mean anything, except you destroy yourself and your own, and you are killing somebody else spiritually. So we have to watch that particular part of our lives. Notice Revelation chapter 3. So much of the church thinks that we are the only ones You know, we're the greatest. Our group's the greatest. But I think somehow, and we can fall in the same trap. God brought us here. He gave us this piece of property. He allows us to live together. We are really special people. We're the greatest. We've got it all made, don't we? Here in Revelation 3, verse 17, Because you say that I am rich... Well, we can say, maybe we're not talking about physical richness, but are we not rich with spiritual knowledge? Hasn't God opened our mind to the calendar? Hasn't God opened our minds to the Passover, to uh, the minor prophets, opened us to many things that God can get so are we rich? I mean, is this the riches that, that we really look for? And yet it says. Because you say, I'm rich. Well, we can't say we're rich. We still have a lot to learn. There's a lot out here that we don't understand. And increase with goods and have need nothing. We need a lot. We really need Christ. We need forgiveness. We need to be humble. We need to have humility. I have need of nothing. And know not that you are talking to the whole church talking to me, talking to every person in the church of God. Know you not that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? Why can't we look at that? Why can't we see that there are a lot of things we don't understand? And God sends us people to teach us. But it's not anything new when we say, well, I don't like... Government, I don't like this person. I don't want that person. That's nothing new. Moses went through it. Daniel went through it. Elijah went through it. Uh, Isaiah went through it. Paul and Peter and even Christ, our Savior, went through that. They all found out that somebody says, You're not the one. They don't believe it. They don't want to hear it. And basically they're saying, we're rich, we don't need that anymore. But we're naked and miserable and poor. Notice back in chapter 2, what Christ said, chapter 2, verse 5, what He said to the the church of Ephesus, 2-5. He said, remember from whence you are fallen. He said, you know, you're in a church. And this, this is said to all the churches now. Here, you're in the church of God said remember from whence you are fallen you know the church of god fell we got waylaid because we became laid of sin and he says to repent and do the first works recapture that first love in another place do the first works else i will come unto you quickly and will remove the candlestick out of his place except you repent And that's part of this Days of Unleavened Bread is to see a sins, the crumbs. And sometimes it's not crumbs, is it? Sometimes it's pretty good-sized chunks. It might even be a loaf in a case or two. In my life, I think I've got more than one loaf. And so, I've got to search those things out. I can't look at somebody else. I can't condemn my wife, put her down, can I? No, I've got to search my own life. He says, repent, remember from where you were. I can remember back to the church in the 60s, and it was growing at the rate of 30% every year, 30% growth. And when we became so laxed and we sat back and I think we didn't openly say, our Lord delays His coming, but our actions are, our Lord delays His coming. And so we took it easy. And look where we are today. So he says, "Remember where you came from, and repent and turn around." Again, in chapter three, verses one and two, uh, verses two and three, talking to Sardis here, two and three, say, "Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain." Also, oh, you have certain things in your life. He says, "Strengthen those things up. Strengthen the things that remain that." Are ready to die. Well, if we be, sit back and say, "Hey, I've got it made. I can take it pretty easy today," no. Those things are probably ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect. So God's saying to us the same way: Our works are not perfect yet. We still have things to change, don't we? <laughs> we got ways to go. Remember, therefore, now you have uh, for. Remember now, you have received and heard and hold fast and repent. Again, he's telling us to turn around and repent. Now, how can you repent if you're not looking for the crumbs or the slices of bread or the loaves of bread or whatever it might be in your life? How can you repent? You can't. So, he's still saying the same thing as he said to us to examine your wife and children, didn't he? No, he said examine yourself. Examine yourself, not somebody else. It's got to be a personal deal. In Proverbs chapter 15, we're told that we can't be honored, we can't gain honor by God until we first become humble. And you can't be humble as long as you have pride and arrogancy and self worth. No. Proverbs chapter fifteen, verse thirty three says Honor has to I mean humility has to come before honor. So it says honor doesn't happen until you become humble. Luke chapter fourteen. Luke 14, in the same line. Luke 14, verse 11. For whoso exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. So, here he's telling us the same thing. You first, if you're going to be... God can use you before He can ever use you for anything, you have to become humble. So, you, you first have to realize your base... You're nothing. Recognizing, I think we used to talk about that in in back in the '60s, late '60s. That God building with clay, you know, he's the potter. He took down the very bottom, the last the scum, but, you know, scum stuff of, of the bottom, and that's what he built us out of. So we're really, if you really realize, you are the base. You're the you're the least. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. If you're something great, you wouldn't be here. Most of the time you find that those people that think they're something don't need God. They don't need God. But we need God because He is something. Philippians 2. I know I'm going to go through a lot of, a lot of Scriptures, but you know it's mostly a, something to think about here while we, when we're uh, going through the Passover or the Days of Unleavened Bread. Philippians 2. Verse five, Philippians two, verse five. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ. Did Christ ever make himself greater and talk to himself as being greater than anybody else? No, he was a base. He was He thought he and he himself said, I of myself can do nothing. And it's hard to realize spiritually, physically, if you're going to do things for God, to recognize the fact you can of yourself do nothing. So here he said, verse 5, "...let this mind, the mind of Christ, be in you, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God." He didn't think it was a robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man, who I was bringing out earlier. He devoided himself of all the God abilities, the creative abilities, to to nothing more than a microscopic sperm cell or a sperm, not even a cell, it's just and that had to unite with the ovum before it could become a cell. And think of that as our, our, our creator, our husband to be, was willing to give up all that. And he said he, he himself made himself of no reputation, became like a human being. He became a human being for us. And being in the, and being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the stake. Are you willing to do that? Am I willing to do that? Am I willing to say, nothing else matters except I do it the way the Father wants it? Whatever it is, it doesn't make any difference. I will only do it the way the Father wants it. So are we ready to make that as a change in our life? James chapter 4. We need to... Build humility. If we're going to be used by God, we have to be humble. This is something that's a requirement. James 4, verse 10. He says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Are you going to lift yourself up? No. He says, Humble yourself. Humility is a important, important key in the days, in the Days of Unleavened Bread, by recognizing who you are, once you look into the mirror and say, yeah, you need a lot of changes. You have to look like Christ. Not the other people, because it don't make any difference what someone else is doing. You will never bring anybody else into the kingdom of God. It's between you and Christ. So you have to humble yourself down to that point. It's got to be between you and Christ, you and the Father. I was listening to a tape and that's what I referred to a little earlier. Uh, It's the 130. It's a good tape to listen to throughout this Days of Unleavened Bread. It's called um, Rendering Your Heart. Rendering Your Heart, not Your Garments. It's easy to tear your clothes. It's easy to Put some physical things out of your life. But this this tape was is really good. It's was this one barrel bid back in nineteen in July of nineteen ninety seven. And and I recommend that you if you can get a hold of a copy of it, if it's on the C D one, if you have the C D or you have a copy of the tape, listen to that. Before the days of unleavened bread are over. And realize you have to come to that point in your life of humbling yourself Of renting your heart to God by looking at yourself. And I want to go through a few scriptures to realize to see what others have done and how they rendered their heart. And the first one I want to do is look at Luke 22. This is an example of Jesus Christ that last night he went through the Passover with his disciples. They had the standard Passover that had been kept by Israel from the Exodus to that point. And at that point, He changed the the Passover. showed us that the bread and the wine, because it was a reflection back of, of what they did of killing the animals, a reflection of up to what we did at that time, of Christ being the one that would take away... Our sins, and here in Luke chapter 22, verse, starting verse 39. Luke 22, verse 39. And he came out and went. And this is after the Passover service is over. Judas has already left. He'd already gone through much of the John 14, 15, 16, 17. And now he came out and went as as he went to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was in a place, he said to them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. Pray that God will help you see the direction you have to go in. And he went and withdrew from them about a stone's cast, kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if you will remove the cup from me, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Think of what Christ was saying. He knew what it said in Psalms 22. He knew what it said in Isaiah 52 and 53. He knew those things. He knew what was about to happen to Him. And He kneeled down and said, Take this cup from me. He poured out his heart to God. Remove this cup. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He was humble, wasn't he? He had humility. He was willing to go all the way. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. He was rendering his heart to God. He prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, drops of blood falling to the ground. How often have we, how often have you, how often have I been able to come to that type of prayer that that you just cry out, you render yourself to God, recognizing that if it isn't in God's hands, it's not going to happen. It has to be our Creator, our Father, and we need to cry out with that type. Christ set that example. That's something that we should be doing throughout the days of unleavened bread, having that type of a prayer. And when He had rose up from prayer and came to the disciples and found them sleeping he, for sorrow, and He said unto them, Why sleep you? Rise and pray lest you enter into temptation. He's admonishing us to have that same in-depth prayer, that that contact with God. Not, Not some physical things, not giving up the physical life so much as giving up your whole life for Christ, for the Father. That's what He was asking us to do. We can go back and read Daniel 9. Maybe tonight... Tomorrow. Read Daniel 9. He rendered his heart to God too. Daniel 9 is a prayer that uh, Daniel offered up to the Father, or to Christ. Uh, I'll a couple of pieces out of there I wanted to bring out. He set his face to God and was seeking God in prayer, supplication, fasting, and sackcloth, and ashes. So here he looked out there and, and, and he... He just rendered Himself all He could. And I prayed unto my God and made a confession and said, O Lord, the great and grateful God, Keeper of covenants, mercy to them that love Him, to them that keep His commandments. Read the rest of that prayer. Daniel rendered his heart to God. It's an example how we should pray. What we should go through and especially in the Days of Unleavened Bread, we can reflect back in prayer what Christ did. It's hard to imagine being tied to a stake and having a cat of nine tails ripping your flesh right off your body. Be able to look down when you're nailed to a stake and see your bones. Think about that when you're praying. And it's going to help you to, you know, say, hey, I am really... Not worth a whole lot, am I? And yet God loved me enough to go through that for me. Let's go over here to to Luke chapter eighteen. We come close to God in prayer. Just opening our hearts up to God. Luke eighteen, verse nineteen. And he spoke this parable unto certain that trusted in themselves. You know, and to think about this, do I trust myself? Do I trust that I'm going to grasp these things? So he said, he gave this parable to people that trust in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. And they're talking about, is that what we heard on the first day of Unleavened Bread, on Passover day? pride because we think we're righteous and we look down on other people? Two men went into the temple to pray. One the Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee, Pharisee stood and prayed thus to him, with himself, God, I thank you. I'm not like other men. Hey, I'm great. I know all these Scriptures. I come to Sabbath services. I go to the Holy Days. Man, I'm pretty good. Basically what he's saying, I'm not an extortioner. I don't cheat and steal. I'm a, I'm, I'm, he's not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not, I'm not like this publican. This guy, is a worthless person. So I fast twice a week and give tithes of all that I possess. But the publican, notice his prayer. This is something that you and I are supposed to be doing. This is what we should say. Be like this publican, standing afar off, would not lift so much of his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We should be doing that. We have five more days to search our lives. We should right now get on our knees and say, Help me. I am a sinner. I fall short of a mark of excellence. Are we pouring out our heart like that? Psalms chapter uh, 32. Psalms chapter 32. Verse 1, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Here we're told that Christ has covered our sins. Are we not? Didn't God say your sins are covered? When we took that Passover, we recognized that fact. When we ate that bread, we drank that cup that little bit of wine, representing the blood of Christ, our sins were covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputes no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silent, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. He prayed. Are we praying all the time? Instant in prayer? For day and night... Your hand was heavy upon me and my moisture is turned into drought in the summer. I acknowledge, Listen to what David says, I acknowledge my sin unto you and my iniquity have I not hid. I, I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord and you uh, forgave the iniquity of my sins not that what we did on the Passover? We recognized and said, Hey, I'm a sinner. I took that bread. And he ate that and said, I'm eating the fact that Christ paid for all the physical things I do wrong. And I drank that blood and recognized that God does no longer look at my sins. They're covered. Like in James, we're told that you see a brother sin and you help him turn and change, you actually cover a sin. Just like Christ did. You helped Him turn around and become part of something better. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, verse 18. I will rise and go to my father and will say unto him, This is the, remember this fellow? His father was rich and he said, Hey, I need all, I need everything that belongs to me. I need my, my uh, inheritance. And he took his inheritance and he spent it unwisely. He became broke and destitute. Finally, he looked up and said, I will arise and go to my Father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Can we do that? Can we look back and say, I wasted the things that God gave to me to this point. A Laodicean doesn't do that, does he? A Laodicean will sit up there and say, I don't need anything else. I'm rich and preach with goods." But this fellow recognized he made a mistake. He searched his life and found he made some mistakes. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was a great distance away, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on, on his neck and kissed him. If we turn around, we can recognize that God's going to do that to us too. He will help us. He will forgive us. He will kiss us. He will accept us back. But we have to change. We have to be like that fellow that says, hey, I've wasted most of my life. I've got to turn around. I've got to find something different. I've got to change my life to go and serve God. John First John chapter 1. We have to come to the point to, to be willing to render our hearts to see that I am a sinner. I have fallen short of a mark of excellence. And if we can come to that point, and here in first, John, John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, and that what the Days of Unleavened Bread are showing us, We've got to find those pieces of sin. We've got to come and say, Father, forgive me. Confess the fact that we are making mistakes. He, the Father and Christ, are faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you have to admit that. You have to admit it and mean it. It can't be just some superficial thing. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Christ a liar, and His Word is not in us. When you recognize that, it's not going to be hard if you can sit back and say, Hey, I'm a sinner. It's not going to be hard to rend your heart and say, I have made a mistake. Please forgive me. Help me. Guide me. Teach me. Christ set us the example. We have to follow that example. First, uh, Back to John chapter five, uh, chapter 5. The book of John chapter 5. Christ is our example. John chapter 5. Verse seventeen John chapter five seventeen, but Jesus answered them, My Father works hitherto and I work. Therefore the Jews sought more to kill him because he only had spoken not only broken the Sabbath, but had, had said although also that God was his father, making him equal with God. You know, are we not told in Romans that if the Spirit of God, God in Christ dwell in us, and we are sons too. So can't we also say we are sons of God, daughters of God? So we are then equal with God, not in authority, but the fact that we are children, not born yet, but begotten of God, And as far as God's concerned, we are children. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself but what He sees the Father do. For what things soever He does, these also does the Son likewise. We're sons and daughters of God. We can do nothing on our own. We can't accomplish things that will bring honor and praise to God without God dwelling in us. And if we take that approach to humility and in prayer and humbling ourselves and say, hey, I can do nothing of myself. What I have what in, can reflect back to God comes from God and I can only do that if I go to God and say, Help me. Open my understanding. Throughout this day, throughout this past this days of unleavened bread, we each one, every day, need to come and say, I cannot find my sins by myself. Show me my sins. Show me the direction to go. Open my understanding. Teach me Leave me, and then do it that way. Follow that path. Again, over in chapter 8, Christ says basically the same thing. Chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. Then Jesus said unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself but what the Father has taught me, I speak those things. Can we say that? I can do nothing of myself, but as the Father teaches me, and throughout the rest of the days of Unleavened Bread, we can say as, I can't find my problems, but as the Father teaches me, then I can do those things. And He that sent me is with me, and the Father has not left me, uh, left me none, for I do always those things that please Him. I want to please the Father. You want to please the Father. We have to humble ourselves and come to, to our Father. We have to do that prayer like Christ did. We have to render our heart we have to get on our knees and cry out, not some superficial prayer, but so deep, so entrenched in recognizing that you as an individual are not going to make a change without God's help. And so you have to say, no matter what happens today, I can't do it, Father. You have to show me and when he shows us, then we got to do. We got to change. We can't just say, "Show me," and do nothing. It's too easy to be that way. Christ set us the example. Are we going to follow that example? He sent us others examples that you can go and there's others. Go back and render your heart. Look at the prayer that Christ did. Look at Go through that prayer of Daniel. Go back and look at the prayers of others in the Bible Isaiah, uh, Samuel, uh, even uh, King Saul, uh, not King Saul, uh, Solomon, when he dedicated the temple. Look at that prayer. And look at the prayer he had when he asked God for understanding and wisdom. But basically, look at Christ's example. We have five days left. Are we going to find the the crumbs? Are we going to find the sin in our life? When we do, will we change? We have five more days to wind up looking like Christ. That's what the days of unleavened bread are about. Eating unleavened bread. And every time you eat that unleavened bread, say... This represents the body of Christ. This is what God wants me to look like. Unleavened. Not puffed up, but to be sin free. So, five more days. Render your hearts. Search your life. Make the change.